this, all of our elementary age students, that's grades K through five. We have a lesson ready for you. So we invite you to go to that. You can take that off, remove that from the screen. Forgive me for not communicating. As you probably observed, we did something a little bit different this morning than what our normal custom is, and we'll continue to do that until further notice, but we did not have you stand on the uh, song following our call to worship, um, and we normally sing a couple of songs before the sermon, um, but we're only doing one. This is part of some of our COVID mitigation efforts. As you can see, our crowd is much thinner than normal, so many people are back to the live stream option, which we respect and honor. Um, but what you will, what we will be doing for the foreseeable future is we will begin our services with a hymn of preparation. Um, my I, I know that I am an old man at heart. I have an old soul, and if I had, I don't need your cosign. <laughs> and if I had my way, and if it was just me, we would sing a lot more hymns. But COVID has given me a providential opportunity <laughs> to teach y'all some hymns. So the first song that we will always sing for the next few weeks, however long, until we feel like it's a little more safe, is a hymn. And I pray that these hymns will minister to you. Um, and there is so much good theology in the hymns of old. You know, most of the hymns, one of the things that I enjoy about most of the hymns, are they are about hymns. And I wish I could say that about many of our, most of our contemporary songs in both gospel and contemporary Christian music, but we have become a very self-centered people, and we like to sing about ourselves, and we like to make, put ourselves at the center of our worship, which is idolatry. Um, and so we're going to just sing those hymns. We'll allow you to, con to keep your seat. Um, and then we're going to move the congregational singing to the back end of our service. We will sing together, and then we will dismiss, and you can leave this germ-filled space. <laughs> we thank, we're so grateful for Pastor Dominic and how he has led us so far and for that wonderful prayer this morning draw our attentions to the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah, beginning with chapter number one. Isaiah chapter number one. I want to begin with verse number 10. We'll read verse through verse 20, though we will reference several, the most of the chapter. So Isaiah chapter number one, beginning at verse 10 is where we will hear from God on this morning. As is our custom, let us stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. 
Isaiah chapter number 1, verse number 10. Here's how it reads according to the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On tomorrow, we here in America will observe, honor, and remember the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This man who was a civil activist, a seeker of justice, a preacher, a child of God. This man who affirmed and fought for the dignity, the affirmation of the dignity of every individual, regardless of race or ethnicity. He believed in the sanctity of human life. 
on next week here at the Bridge Church and around our country, we will also remember and stand for the right to human life, especially for those inside the womb. That is the Right to Life Sunday. Unfortunately, in evangelicalism, we honor and defend the right to life inside the womb, but are unconcerned with life outside the womb. We have hijacked the term pro-life when really it should mean pro-birth, where to be pro-life is to honor, thank you, Pastor Dominic, the imago dei, the image of God in every human being from womb to the tomb. And so I hope to begin a tradition here at the Bridge Church where we don't have a right or the sanctity of human life Sunday, but now we, we have a focus and an emphasis on the, 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 what is it called? The sanctity of human life week, where we look at what Dr. King stood for where he was someone who came to, to, to affirm the dignity of all human beings outside the womb, but then we look next week to, to, to doing justice for those inside the womb. So this is going to be two Sundays where we emphasize justice. Now, 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 before you click off your screen or tune me out, I want from the get-go to make sure you understand that I have no political agenda. I am an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. I didn't come in here to, 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 for the right or for the left, for Republicans or Democrats, for liberals or conservatives. I, I came here to proclaim what thus said the Lord. Let me back up. Let me back up. I said I didn't have a political agenda, but that's not the whole truth. I actually do have a political agenda, but it comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, I'm going to proclaim a political message, but it has nothing to do with American politics. It has everything to do with heavenly politics. And so... We begin this week of emphasis of the sanctity of human life by focusing on justice for those outside of the womb. And the Holy Spirit led me to this first book of Isaiah, this first chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. And he is uh, prophesying concerning Judah, the, the southern kingdoms. And God opens Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, by saying, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. He calls heaven and earth to be his witnesses 
to the charges that he's about to make against his own people. When he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, he's going back to the same language he used in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 30, when he calls heaven and earth to be, to be witnesses to the covenant of, uh, that he is making with his people, where he lays out for them the blessings and the curses for covenant keeping or covenant unfaithfulness. And so he is reminding us and his people that he's bringing charges against them because of their covenant unfaithfulness. So let's go into the courtroom together to hear what God has against his people. He says in these opening verses, he says, these are my children whom I've reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. Watch this. He says that the ox, verse 3, knows its owner, the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The, 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 the ox and the donkey were considered to be dumb animals. But even these dumb animals, Animals have sense enough to know they better come home and they better recognize the master and the owner, the one who provides for them. And he said, my people are acting like they are dumber than the dumb animals and that they refuse to recognize me, to honor me. They don't know me anymore. And so he says, you sinful nation, a people full of iniquity who deal corruptly. You have forsaken the Lord. You have despised the Holy One of Israel. As we read through this first chapter of Isaiah, what we learn is that God's issue with his people is that as a result of their covenant unfaithfulness, as a result of their rebellion against him, what that looks like practically is injustice and oppression. They have done wrong against the most vulnerable in their community. And God says, I got issues with you. I am bringing charges against you because you have not loved the poor well, the orphan, the widows. He says, I've got issues with you. But, 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 Possibly what happens is God says you have forsaken me. You have rebelled against me. What it could be, it could be argued that we, we're really not that bad, God. Look at all the sacrifices that we're bringing before you. Look at our acts of worship that we continue to do. The prayers we keep praying. What, what, what? You can't be that bad, God. And that's where we find ourselves here in verse 10. God responds to this argument and he says, and you, the way you are treating other people 
In light of that, what to me, verse 11, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? God says, let me line out for you, first of all, what is displeasing to me. Let me show you what does not please me in verses 10 through 15. He, he, he says, it is not pleasing to me that you would have sacrifices without sincerity of heart. In verse 10 through 13, God says to his own people, your worship is useless. It is worthless, meaningless. And God says, this is the language of God. He says, I've had enough. God gets to a point where he says, enough of your foolishness, enough of being trifling, enough of not treating your brother and sister right, enough. It, it is so bad that God says, I take no delight in your sacrifices. God is not pleased with our worship when our hearts are far from him. So in verse 13, the Lord literally puts a stop to their worship. He says, don't bring me any more vain offerings. He says, your incense Another act of worship is an abomination. That, that, that word abomination means that something that is detestable, disgusting. Beloved, this is a big deal that God would call their worship an abomination because here is, are some of the things that are listed as an abomination to God in Scripture. Homosexuality, idolatry, human sacrifice, eating ritually unclean animals, sacrificing defective animals, practicing ritual prostitution. And now to add to the list, he says, my own people's worship of me is an abomination. Their worship has become unnatural to God. Their offerings are said to be vain, meaning empty or meaningless. They mean nothing to God. They are no longer a pleasing aroma to God, but a stench to his nostrils. God, in verse 14, God moves from that which is detestable to that which he hates. He says, your new moons and appointed feast, I hate it all. This monthly celebration at the first of the month that you celebrate, I hate it. He says, matter of fact, they have become burdensome to me. He who is all-powerful says, your worship is a burden. He says, your, your worship is wearing me down. And as a, regard, as a result, God says, when you lift your hands in prayer, I'm going to look the other way. No longer will God make his face to shine upon them. God says, I refuse to acknowledge your adoration, and I will not hear your prayers or requests. A father who says, don't ask me for nothing. 
A father who says to his children, even if you ask, I ain't listening. God says, I refuse the lifting of your hands because they've got blood on them. And this ain't blood from the sacrifice of animals. This is blood from your brother and sister. They are guilty. And I think this, this section causes us to ask ourselves a question. Is my worship acceptable and pleasing to God or has sin kept God from accepting my praise and worship? And what we oftentimes when we think about sin, we think about our own individual sin. But what about corporate sin? This is what does not please God. But then in verse 16 and 17, He says this, we learn what is pleasing to God. Verse 16, he says, wash yourselves and clean yourselves. Remove the evil deeds from before my eyes. Beloved, this is a clarion call to repentance. Wash so that you may be clean. He he is saying, I, you, I expect a change of attitude, a change in your way of thinking that will bring about a change in your way of acting. God wants them to clearly turn from one way of life to a different way of life. A way of life that expresses their love for him and their love for neighbor. What does this look like? Verse 18, cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. This, when God says to his people repent, he doesn't tell them start going to church more. He didn't even tell them start praying more. He didn't tell them start fasting more. He says seek justice. Ah, correct oppression. This is what repentance looks like. This context. Let me give you a few observations from these lists here in verse 13. First, what this list of acts of repentance show us is that love of God and love of neighbor are inseparable. Love of God and love of neighbor are inseparable. They go hand in hand. You cannot love God but functionally hate your brother. And beloved, let me tell you that complacency is passive hatred. Worship and social ethics are divinely linked. Secondly, I want us to see from this list that these are all commands. They are not options to be chosen between. They are not for one side of the political aisle, but not for the other side. These are commands for the people of God to obey. These are tangible ways to express repentance. 
Repentance is not just an emotion. It reveals itself in concrete actions. Thirdly, truly repentant, God-loving, God-fearing people are indeed justice seekers. Rewind. Thank you. I will. Truly repentant, God-loving, God-fearing people are justice seekers. To seek justice and correct oppression is not some left-wing liberal nonsense. Seeking justice for the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized, the underrepresented is not a political issue. It is a gospel issue. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Y'all come to a church where the mission is to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. So to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, beloved, is to be a justice seeker. Jesus affirms this in, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, deal, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. All the tithing you should have done without neglecting the other. Jesus expects his followers to be people concerned with justice. Jesus says the people of God, his chosen people, his elect, are to be people who seek justice, who correct oppression. By the way, that word correct in the Hebrew, is, it literally means to struggle for, to fight for. Now, when we talk about justice, and sometimes what we like to do is we like to argue over the adjectives in front of the now. We, we, get, we feel some type of way with the term social justice. And so now we want to call it biblical justice. Biblical justice is social, by the way. But when, when the Bible talks about justice, it's not only focusing on the desired outcome, but it also deals with the process that leads to the final outcome. Okay, y'all not with me. Biblical justice most often concerns the process governing the settling of some dispute. That's why in the Ten Commandments we are called not to bear false witness because the process matters. So, so, so in our culture, when we talk about justice, we're not only concerned about the final outcome, but we're starting with the actual beginning of the process, with the making of the laws. To, to be one who seeks justice, we must be concerned with lawmaking, which means that we must be concerned with who's doing the lawmaking. So lawmakers matter. The actual law matters. Policing matters. Quality legal representation for the poor and unconnected matters. Having diverse juries matters. Sentencing guidelines matters. Jailing imprisonment that is rehabilitative matters and the like. 
All of that is a part of doing justice. Seeking justice for the poor means not just expecting the poor to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, but to help them get the boot. Seeking justice means ensuring equal pay for equal work regardless of gender or ethnicity. Let me see if I can make y'all really mad now. Seeking justice means loving the immigrant. Notice the term that I use. I said love the immigrant, not tolerate the immigrant, not be complacent about the immigrant, but to love the immigrant. Beloved, this is near and dear to the heart of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19, God is not partial nor takes no or takes no bribe he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner how giving him food and clothing love the sojourner therefore for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt so let me make a bold statement fully devoted followers of Christ are indeed immigrant lovers. And let me make something very clear. Again, this is not political. This is biblical. Loving the immigrant means keeping families together. Oh, I did. I said it again. I'm not scared of y'all. <laughs> Loving immigrants means keeping families together. Why does this matter? It's in the text because he says that doing justice means also doing justice for the orphans. You cannot do justice for orphans when you split up families and make more orphans. I wish I would have brought all my uh, liberation folks this morning so I could have more amens. Loving the immigrant. God says the way I did was I gave him food and clothing. Now I don't. Now, am I saying that we don't, we we shouldn't have strong borders and all that other kind of stuff? That that, that that's not what I'm saying. I'm, did I, am I saying just open the floodgates? I I didn't say all of that. But when we have interactions with them for Christians, we love them. One way I love them is by making sure, because oftentimes we seem so helpless because we only have so much that we can do. Well, I tell you what, one thing I'm going to make sure that I do is, is that I'm going, going to vote for people who value what I value. And so if I value loving the immigrant, I want people representing me who love immigrants. Seeking justice. We are pro, yeah, we, we're pro-life people. I'm just being pro-life right now. Seeking justice also means seeking justice for the orphan. We'll seek justice for, for, for babies in the womb, but once they get outside, it's every man for themselves. 
Now, what was, this will look different. Seeking justice for the orphan will look different from home to home. But collectively, we need to work to make sure every child has a home where they are loved unconditionally and provided for effectively. Seeking justice means that sometimes we ought to have a righteous indignation when we hear about kids sleeping on office floors. We, 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 we are justice seekers. And this is what God calls his people to do if they are to be in right relationship with him. God says to not love your neighbor well will lead to a hostile relationship between us and him. Verses 18 to 20 lead us now to a plan of hope and restoration. God has brought charges against his people. He has told them that he's tired of them. He's had enough with their worthless worship because they have failed to do justice and correct oppression. Watch what happens in verse 18. He says, come, let us reason together. God says, to his rebellious children, let's settle this. Let's settle the conflict. God extends an invitation to restoration. Beloved, notice who makes the offer to settle the conflict. Typically, it is the offending party who would make an offer to resolve a conflict. It is the one willing to suffer the consequences of one's offenses that would make an offer to settle. However, in this instance, it is not the offending party that takes the initiative, but it is the offended a party that takes the initiative to settle the matter. Instead of man seeking God, God seeks man. Beloved, we ought to admire the freeness of God's mercy and compassion. Though we have rebelled against him, oh, he still yet restrains his wrath and offers grace and mercy. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. What amazing grace. Beloved, it ought to bring joy to the sinner that God invites us to his table and says, I want to have a restored relationship with you. Come, let us reason. And God says in verse 18, the one who's been offended, he says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as no, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. There is yet hope in all of this darkness. God says, though your sins are like scarlet, scarlet and red, that's the color of guilt from blood stain. God makes it clear, we're not coming to the 
table to argue about if you're guilty or not. That's a fact. You are guilty. There, there is no wrong. Your sins are like scarlet. That you are in the wrong. God says to you, though, if you repent, though, you will be white as snow. Notice that the Lord, that the Lord doesn't say how this will happen. How they will go from scarlet sins to being white as snow. He doesn't say how it will happen, only that it will happen. Which intimates that God himself will make a way for their atonement. God himself will change their nature and the sentence for their wrongdoing. God here provides a path to forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation for guilty rebels. Beloved, the truth of the matter is that we all are just like Judah. We are guilty rebels. We deserve God's wrath. And without Christ, our worship is worthless. Our sins are like scarlet and red like crimson. We deserve death. Yet God has made a way for restoration on a hill called Calvary. I'm ready now. God made a way for restoration on a hill called Calvary. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it. I, I need some folks who know their sins have been washed away, that the blood, red blood, still makes them white as snow. Is there anybody who knows that my robe has been washed in the blood of the Lamb? My name is written in the Lamb's book of life because of the blood that Jesus shed for me <laughs> way back at Calvary. The Israelites now they have a decision, just like we have a decision. God says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. God says, I will restore covenant blessings. Though you deserve cursings, I am going to bless you if you will just repent. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The invitation, beloved, still stands. Come, let us reason together. Today, if you're here today or on this stream, God extends this invitation for those whose sins are like scarlet. He says they can be white as snow. You can be forgiven. God has made a way through the way. Jesus Christ himself. So today we call on you to repent, turn to God, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. For those of us who are saved, today, maybe today is a call to repentance still. Some of us need to repent from unchristian attitudes that we've had toward justice. We've made it something that is partisan and political, when for the Christian, it is something that is biblical. Justice is doing that which affirms the image of God in every individual. We do justice 
We believe in the sanctity, the holiness, the setting apart of human life because we've been created by God in his image. And in God, there is no partiality. So yes, as fully devoted followers of Christ, we are people who seek justice, correct oppression, fight against the oppressors. So some of us need to repent from unchristian attitudes, for making that which is biblical political. Some of us need to repent because we've been complacent when it comes to justice. Some of us need to repent from apathy, being apathetic when it comes to justice. We need to repent because we have not loved our neighbors well. Beloved, I've told you this before. Justice is not a political issue for us. It is a gospel issue. Why do I say that? Because as I've told you before, justice is at the heart of the gospel. Because of our scarlet-like sin, justice demanded that we should die. God's justice demanded that we should die. The wages of sin is death. That is just. So what did God do? He sent his one and only son to satisfy his justice so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be right with him. So that we could be reconciled. Beloved, justice is, is at the heart of the gospel. And so let us be people who are just. People who seek justice. We must become justice seekers. Beloved, this is what it means to be a pro-life Christian. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your truth. Even though it is, it stings sometimes, it is hard to hear. Some of us stand guilty this morning because we have not sought justice for the weak and the vulnerable. Instead, we've put our own self-interest, privileges, and rights ahead of others. We have not exemplified the humility of Christ. God, we know that this is something that you take very seriously. So serious that in the past you have destroyed nations because of injustice. So God, we need you to have mercy upon us. Forgive us, Lord. Help us, God, to love what you love to stand for what you stand for 
to hate what you hate, to be angry about the things that would make you angry. Help us to become justice seekers and oppression correctors. God, how grateful we are for the blood of Jesus, which makes us white as snow. God, forgive us for any blood that may be on our hands for sitting when we should have stood. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.